All right, thanks. Appreciate it. All right. <clears throat> Just pray for me. I'm a little under the weather today as I do this. So, But God's good, and I'm going to make it through it. I'm going to press on. So uh, I'm going to read you guys a little story to start out. Um, this is from the Olympic Games in Mexico in 1968. The marathon is the final event on the program. The Olympic Stadium is packed, and there is excitement as the first athlete, an Ethiopian runner, enters the stadium. The crowd erupts as he crosses the finish line. Way back in the field is another runner, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania. He has been eclipsed by the other runners. After 30 kilometers, his head is throbbing, his muscles are aching, and he falls to the ground. He has serious leg injuries, and officials want him to retire, but he refuses. With his knee bandaged, Aquari picks himself up and hobbles the remaining 12 kilometers to the finish line. An hour after the winner has finished, Aquari enters the stadium. All but a few thousand of the crowd have gone home. Aquari moves around the track at a painstakingly slow pace until finally he collapses over the finish line. It is one of the most heroic efforts of Olympic history. Afterward, asked by a reporter why he had not dropped out, Aquari says, My country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. See, Paul had his own race that he was running. He had a race that he was running, and he was sent by God to run this race. And he was called to not just start the race, but he was called to also finish the race. And Paul tells the Philippians church about his race that he was running. And he tells the Philippian church about, you know, this race that he was sent to finish and not just start. See, Paul was in prison when he wrote his letter to the Philippian church. You see, he received some missionary support from the Philippian church while he was in prison. A fellow brother in the ministry named Epaphroditus sent him this money, but he almost died on this journey of sending Paul this money, which was crazy. So basically, this letter is a letter of thanksgiving to the Philippian church. But also, this is a letter about joy. You see, the word joy occurs 16 times in the book of Philippians. 16 times. See, Paul wanted to show the Philippian church that they had to have joy in all circumstances. You know, Paul was showing so much joy even though he was locked up. But he had joy because he knew he was getting locked up because of his passion for his faith. And he wanted the Philippian church to have the same kind of passion. In chapter 3, Paul warns the Philippian church about some of these crazy Jewish people that were impressing Old Testament principles on the Christians in the Philippian church. There was a lot of Jewish people at that time in Philippi that believed that if you're following the Old Testament law, you were a legit follower of God. Paul says, look out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. See, a dog in that context was not man's best friend. It wasn't Old Yeller. It wasn't Benji. It wasn't Lassie. These were ravaged beasts that Paul was talking about. He says, look out for these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh. They're going to try to make you feel like nothing because you're not following the Old Testament law down in the T. And you'd have joy even though these crazy Jewish people are going to throw these Old Testament principles upon you. Then Paul goes on to say, if these crazy, you know, zealous Jewish people that are throwing these Old Testament principles upon you think they're crazy and amazing, I have more to brag about from my past. Paul was like the Cadillac of the Jews. 
Paul was like the Rolls Royce of the Jews. You know, Paul was a true blue Jew, as one of my professors said back in college. You know, he followed the law down the T. He was a Pharisee. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which was a really respected tribe. But at the same time, he was also responsible for um, a lot of Christians being killed. He was also responsible for a lot of persecution of Christians. So his past was bittersweet. He was one of these people that was really zealous about the Old Testament law. He was a highly respected Jewish figure, but at the same time, he was responsible for a lot of Christians being killed. He was responsible for the persecution of a lot of Christians. But he says later in chapter 3 that his past and all his accomplishments are nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And they're nothing compared to the righteousness of Jesus. Paul says that he's on a journey to grow closer to God. He's on a journey to obtain eternal life. And he's on this journey to have fellowship with all believers, more and more, each and every day. And that's where we pick up, starting at verse 12 in chapter 3. I didn't put Philippians chapter 3 on the screen because I wanted everybody to turn there. Because I'm a pain like that. If you can't find Philippians, it's God eats pink cookies. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I always remember it. I don't know if he eats pink cookies or not, but it helps me to remember. Story verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this. Not that I've obtained everything I want to obtain as far as getting to know Christ on a deep level, as far as getting eternal life. Or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take, have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You see... Paul didn't want to dwell on his past. You know, Paul had some accomplishments in his past, but also he had some skeletons in his closet. He was responsible for a lot of Christians being killed, like I said. He was responsible for the persecution of a lot of Christians, like I said before. But he said that he's got to forget all of that and press on. Because he has a race. He has a goal that he's trying to attain. We're in this series called Skeletons in Our Closet. We all have them. We all have things from our past that haunt us. Things from our past that we don't want to remember, but they seem to haunt us all the time. But we have to put the skeletons in our closet behind us. We have a race to run. We have this race called life. And when we let, when we let these skeletons in our closet weigh us down, it can really hinder us from attaining that goal of getting to know Christ more and, and having eternal life with Christ. You see, it's, it's like a, a huge weight. Like, uh, if I were to give Nate Morales a piggyback ride, Nate would have a hard time getting around. I'd probably kill his back for the rest of his life. But that's how your past can feel when you're trying to run this race. Or if uh, Big Joe Scott 
you know, were to hop on my back, I'd probably die, you know, because <laughs> he's just crazy like that, and he enjoy me suffering. But that's how running a race with skeletons in our closet can feel. Imagine if you went to the airport and you couldn't drop your luggage off right when you checked in. Imagine if you had to drag your luggage off, you know, all around the airport. Wouldn't that be crazy? You're trying to weave in and out of everybody, you know, and you got all this extra weight. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it a great luxury you can drop your luggage off right when you get to the airport? You know, my girlfriend Elizabeth, she's in emergency management, and like, she packs for like a flood or a famine or a hurricane, and I couldn't imagine she was in the airport and she couldn't drop her luggage off, you know, right when she got there, man. She'd be ready to collapse probably, you know, and, and I know some ladies pack for like five months, right, you know, when you go on a trip, and I couldn't imagine some of you guys, if you couldn't drop off your luggage, Right, you know, when you get in the airport. You know, I mean, guys aren't, you know, innocent either. You know, we have our times, you know, when we're, you know, dragging 80,000 things around, you know. Um, but I had to have my moment because I have a stage. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And then, you know, some of you guys have kids and you pack for like the next 10 years. And it'd be crazy to drag this luggage around everywhere in the airport. Especially when you're, like, trying to catch a flight on time. Wouldn't that be crazy? But it's so good to drop your luggage off right when you get at the airport. You see, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, All you who are weary, all of you who are burdened, come, and I will give you rest. We can drop off our luggage. See, we acquire so much luggage when we let the skeletons in our closet weigh us down. He says, drop off your luggage right here. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we can run this race with perseverance that God has called us to run by allowing Christ in our lives so we can find rest because His yoke is easy and His burden is light? We're going to talk about how we can give our burdens to Christ today because that's the only way we're going to run this race. This is the only way we're going to finish this race. This is the only way we're going to press on when the skeletons in our closet haunt us from finishing this race. So this is the first reality we have to remember when we want to take Christ in our lives and we want that yoke that's easy and that burden that is light. Next slide. First thing we have to realize is that we got to expect to mess up. I know this sounds like common sense, but it really isn't. We're in denial that we're always going to mess up. I think in the back of our heads we know we're always going to mess up. But when we mess up, we like freak ourselves out. We're like, why did I do that? I have this problem all the time. You know, I'll tell my girlfriend sometimes, I'll be like, Elizabeth, why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. And she'll be like, yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> I'm picking on her a lot today. I didn't say anything about it. She's going to backhand me probably later. But it's all right. I deserve it. But, uh, yeah, it, <sighs> We're human. I know this is a big wake-up call, you guys, but we're human. We're going to mess up. Romans 3.23, For all sin and fall and show the glory of God. You're going to continue to mess up until we see Christ. So get used to it. I think sometimes our past drives us nuts when we screw up and we have to deal with the after-effect of screwing up. 
We're in denial that we mess up. This reality hit me hard when I played baseball in college. Every year the coach would be like, you're going to mess up. There's only one perfect person. You know, he died 2,000 years ago. You're going to mess up. You know, typical Christian coach speech every year. But I didn't latch on to that too well. I was a head case. You know, if I made one error in a game, I was mentally shot the rest of the game. You know, and I couldn't play the rest of the game. Um, if you go to the next slide, this is an award I received my sophomore year of college. It's sort of a passive-aggressive kind of award. <laughs> I had a really bad temper in college when it came to baseball. Some of you guys know the bad news bears and how they used to throw equipment around, but I could chuck a catcher's glove about 100 feet. I could kick a catcher's mask about 20 feet in the air. I was very gifted, you know, with throwing equipment. It, it was funny, but it sort of wasn't funny at the same time. But, man, I was a head case, you know. I didn't realize that I was going to mess up. And when I did mess up, I couldn't deal with it. You know, baseball was an idol for me for a long time. And I think that was part of it. I just could not deal with messing up. I remember one time, I didn't really become a legit follower of Christ until I was about a senior in college, at Bible college. And I went to Bible college for all four years, and that's another story within itself. But I remember one time, I was, I was a catcher, and uh, the pitcher threw the ball, and somehow I missed it, and I didn't catch it. And I decided to let an amazing word that's four letters fly out of my mouth, and there's a bunch of Bible college professors watching the game. And um, The coach wasn't too excited about that. Um, we had to do things called poles, where you run from one foul pole to the other, and we had to do about 20 of them because I let this word fly out of my mouth. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just another way. I could not deal with mistakes. It drove me nuts. I, I loved to dwell on the past, especially in the world of sports. But here's another reality that we don't always understand. Pastor Rick Warren at Saddleback Church says, if you're not messing up, you're probably not doing anything. <laughs> We're not supposed to mess up, but if you're not messing up, isn't that confusing? If you're not messing up, you're not doing anything. If you're really living for Jesus, you're going to mess up because you're going to get off your death, you're going to do things, you're going to fall flat on your face once in a while. You're going to live this life, and you're broken when you live this life. The only problem is when you do the same mistakes over and over and over again. I've done some really dumb stuff. I've done some really dumb stuff. But I'm always in denial all the time. I'm always in denial all the time. Um, I remember one time, I, uh, I was in a, a night class in college. And uh, I don't know, I'd always eat dinner before this night class. And I, I remember I loaded up on mashed potatoes and, and fried chicken this one day. And... This was a class about six people. I just want to remind you that. Um, and I decided to fall asleep. I mean, we were talking about a good topic, you know. We were talking about, you know, ministering to people on secular college campuses. But I decided to fall asleep in this class of six people because I had all these carbs and all the starch in my system. And, and it knocked me out. But, you know, I also forgot that that gives you a lot of... A lot of gas, too. Uh, and I remember, I, I fell asleep, and all of a sudden, I farted and woke me up. So I was an idiot for eating all this food, and I was an idiot for falling asleep. But, I mean, that's, that's one instance. I remember another time when I was about eight years old, I ran straight across the diamond from first base to third base without touching second one time, because I was so ADD like that. I don't know, third base was more exciting than touching second. And 
You know, um, I remember another time, um, I was in Florida, and uh, me and my buddy were at a mall, and I saw this cool magazine in a music store, and I had a bag from another store in the mall, and I threw the magazine in the bag, thinking that I was going to pay for it in a few minutes, and then all of a sudden I saw this, uh, this cool like sale somewhere else in another store, and after I threw the magazine in the bag, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go over there and check this out. So right after I check out that sale, my buddy says, we're going to go home. Some of you guys know where this is going. So I'm about a mile away from the mall as we're walking from the mall. And I decided, oh, I didn't pay for that. <laughs> so I had to go walk a mile all the way back. But I've done some dumb stuff, and I'm always in denial of some of this dumb stuff I do all the time. And, you know, like I'm saying, you know, this is preaching to me more than anybody. Don't be in denial of the fact that you're going to mess up. You're going to do it. Just know how to deal with it when you're going to do it. Don't make the same mistakes over and over Again, I think the second thing you have to realize is you got you got to see that other people mess up. Realize that other people mess up. You're not the only one that messes up. Sometimes you're so hard on yourself from the skeletons in your closet because you don't realize that other people have skeletons in their closet. Other people mess up. I know this this is another common sense kind of concept, but we still don't grasp it all the time. There's many people in the Bible. I mean, Paul's one. Like I said, Paul was responsible for persecuting a lot of Christians. Paul was responsible for a lot of Christians being killed. But God changed him on the road to Damascus, and, and he was one of the key players in, in the church when it started out. But Paul pressed on from his past. Moses, the man who led the Israelites out of Egypt, he was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand. And God spoke to him in a burning bush and said, Hey, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. Look at David, man after God's own heart. You know, David had an affair with Bathsheba. But God still used him anyways to be an amazing king. You see, some of the most holy people in the Bible messed up. But they had to put their skeletons in their closet behind them so they could run this race. A lot of people, I think, like to think their sins aren't as bad as somebody else's sins. And I think that's a big problem when we try to realize that other people mess up. You know, I lived in a small town um, in Illinois before I moved here. It was a town of 900 people. And people were famous for ignoring their sins and, and you know, giving people a hard time about, you know, their sins. Um... You know, you would hear about everybody's garbage in the coffee shop or at the gas station. I mean, this stuff happens everywhere, but when it's in such a small space, you hear it all the time. You know, some people wouldn't go to church because so-and-so did something to them 30 years ago. You know, or somebody walked on their farm 10 years ago and they can't get over it. <laughs> you know, and, and these people are always crossing paths with each other and they're so stubborn because somebody did something to them. You know, we got, we got to get over that kind of stuff. You know, um, 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The blood of Jesus covers all sins, except for blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's another topic. But 99.99999% of sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. 
Whether you know, you're a murderer, you're covered by the blood of Jesus. Whether you're a drug addict, you're covered by the blood of Jesus. If you're a gossiper, or if you're still a gossiper, you know you have the chance to have your sins covered by the blood of Jesus. In churches, we have such a hard time taking certain sins and elevating them. It's ridiculous. And that's how a lot of people can't understand that other people mess up, and other people have their own demons they're working through, and other people have skeletons in their closet. I think the third thing we need to realize is that we need to get support. We need to get support. If we know that everybody's on this journey together, if we know that everybody has messed up, we need to encourage each other. We need to have accountability for each other. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we're supposed to confess our sins to each other. We're supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens. Remember, we're not supposed to carry each other's loads. I think Chuck Swindoll said that one time. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens, but not carry each other's loads. We're all on the same team. We're, we're the body of Christ. We have to encourage each other. We're all on this journey. We're all messed up. The church is a hospital for sinners and not a hotel for saints. Jesus says, I have come for the sick, not for the healthy. We're all sick. We're all in need of Jesus to cleanse us from our skeletons in our closets, guys. If you look back to our story from the Olympic Games in Mexico in 1968, we see that after an hour of the winner uh, finishing the, the race, Akwari is still working on the race. All but a few thousand of the crowd have gone home. Akwari moves around the track at a painstakingly slow pace until finally he collapses over the finish line. See, when Akwari finished the race, when Akwari uh, crossed the finish line, a good chunk of the crowd was still there. See, when people are wounded, when people are messing with skeletons in their closet, we need to be there for these people. We need to stick around. We need to tell these people, we believe in you. Because we're all called to finish this race and not just start this race. There's amazing ministries out there. Um, New Life Christian Church has a ministry called Celebrate Recovery where people are dealing with issues, people are dealing with skeletons in their closets. And people are on a team together to work through their issues. You know, there, there's small groups you can be involved in. You know, where, where people come alongside you, people encourage you, people give you accountability. As you're all on this journey together called life, as all of you guys are on this race together. There's people that have been through things that you've been through that can mentor you. And you can have a one-on-one -on -one discipleship kind of situation. You know, do not do this race alone. You can't do this race alone. It's impossible to do this race alone. Jesus sent out his first disciples two by two so that they wouldn't do ministry alone. Because ministry can be rough. When you're a Christian, life is rough. It can be lonely. 
A lot of times the skeletons in your closet are going to haunt you like nobody's business. They're going to cause an extra weight. It's going to be that luggage you just need to drop off. You need to say, Jesus, I know you got this. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. I'm burdened and I'm weary. I need your rest. I remember um, in college when I was playing baseball that we would run laps. And there was always like the same couple kids that would take an hour to finish after everybody else. There's always those couple of kids. I mean, I was that guy sometimes. Um, not all the time, but I remember, you know, there was always a couple of kids that would take an hour to finish their laps. But the coach would tell us, when we were done with our laps, we would have to go run with those people that couldn't finish right away. And we'd have to run right alongside of them until they would finish their laps. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, that's the concept we need to have as we're getting support. You have people that want to run alongside of you. you. There's people that want to help you finish the race. Don't do this race alone. All you guys have the same goal, to get eternal life, to have fellowship with Jesus on such a deep level. And the last way we, we press on from our skeletons in our closet is through using our past. We've got to use our past. You know, I know the Bible says, you know, God forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west. I think he allows us to remember our past so we know how God has worked through our lives and how God has changed us. You know, we hear that quote, you don't know where you're going until you know where you've been. I think that has a lot of truth with your sinful past, with the skeletons in your closet. Everybody has a story with the skeletons in their closet. And people can change lives through the power of the Holy Spirit through their story. You know, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Everything works together for the good. Even your sinful past, even the skeletons in your closet, they're part of that puzzle called your walk with Christ. And you saw the power of God work through your past, and you saw the power of God change you as you've been dealing with the skeletons in your closet. But God's mighty, and God shows his glory, because everything works together for the good, through your past and through your story. There's a website called IamSecond.com, and there's a lot of celebrities that give their testimony, and they have such a platform to share how God has changed them from their rough past. There was a guy named Brian Head Welch who was in a band called Corn, and he eventually became a Christian and started his own Christian band. And he has such a powerful story, and, and he shows how he's pressed on, and he has forgotten his past. Because God is so much greater than his past. You know, Michael W. Smith is another big, huge Christian music figure who is on that website. He dealt with drugs, and a lot of people don't know that. But he dealt with drugs, and, and God changed him, and God used him. And God told him, hey, everything works together for the good. My glory is shown through all your struggles. There's a, there's a couple powerful ministries called um, Teen Challenge and, uh, and the Dream Center. And there's actually people that have been through Teen Challenge, and there's actually people that have been through the Dream Center that work on staff after they go through the programs. These are outreaches for people that deal with drug addiction and alcohol addiction and, and some other issues. But there's actually people that have gone through the programs that are walking testimonies that help other people. So you can actually use your past to mentor people and to, and to you know, really encourage other people. 
So I don't think our past is a waste on any level. Um, the famous basketball player, uh, Larry Bird, had this quote that really stood out to me that really sums up um, you know, this idea of pressing on from your past. And he says this, Push yourself again and again. Don't give an inch until the final buzzer sounds. I'll repeat again. Push yourself again and again. Don't give an inch until the final buzzer sounds. See, we're running this race, but we don't know when our time's up with this race. We don't know when the buzzer is going to sound. A lot of coaches say, play till the whistle blows. You've got to play till the whistle blows. You've got to run with momentum until your time is over here. You don't have time to dwell on your skeletons in your past. You have to press ahead. You have a goal to grow closer to Christ. You have a goal to have eternal life. Because you don't know when that buzzer is going to sound. You've got to push yourself again and again. Don't give an inch until you finish the race. You want to say at the end of the race, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith like Paul says. Because he played till the whistle blew. And I also wanted to leave you guys with this. My college, where I went to school, their mission statement is, live your mission. Remember they have a mission with your race. You've got to live it. Because you don't know when the buzzer is going to sound. So live your mission. Push yourself again and again until the buzzer sounds. Run this race. Press on from your past. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time you come together. Thank you for getting me through this craziness since I've been a little under the weather. But you gave me the strength, Father, and I thank you for that. And just help us to press on from our past. Help us not to be weighed down from our past, Father. Help us to just um, realize we're going to mess up. Realize... Help us realize that other people mess up. Help us to get support and help us just to um, use our past for your glory, Father. And just help us not to give up till the buzzer sounds, Father. That's our cry. That's our mission. Help us to live that mission, Father. We love you and praise you in my precious name. Amen.